Redemption kids, you guys are on your way, and you are dismissed. You can see the signs over there. Make sure you find the right class, and then they'll take you to your classrooms. I uh, just want to say welcome to those joining us online this morning. Um, variety of reasons why people do that, and uh, if you are joining us this morning, we want to just uh, welcome you. And uh, if you wouldn't mind just uh, letting us know that you're joining us today, either through the Church Center app, if you normally attend here, or uh, just jotting a note on the platform that you're on. So uh, good to come together again this morning. Uh, we're back into Romans 13 today. And I wanted just to just take a quick step back again and remind us, um, like, how did we get to here? I think it's really important that we're kind of like tracking from Romans 1 right to where we're at now in order to kind of like, okay... In light of what? And, and uh, if we think about Romans chapter 1, really early on, uh, Paul made this statement that he was not ashamed of the gospel. Why? For it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone that believes. It's the gospel, it's the gospel, it's the gospel. And that's really been the theme for the entire book of Romans. Romans 1 through three really set the stage in the sense that we are all sinners. It doesn't matter if you grew up Jewish. It doesn't matter if you grew up a Gentile. We are all sinners. As Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And that may be news to you this morning, but we are not basically good people. We are sinners, and we have sinned against a holy God. So then how is it that we could be made right with this God? As we get into chapter 4, he begins to talk about the importance of faith. It's always been about faith. It's never been about a person's good works. As you look at from Abraham on, it's always been about faith. If we're to be made right with God, it has to be through faith. And as he gets into Romans chapter 5, he talks about the fact that now we place our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. For while we were still sinners, Christ came and died for us. So then we've been set free, set free from the law, set free from sin. So then what should we do? Do whatever we want? No, he makes it really clear. No, now we are free to serve him. And there's this wrestling going on as we get into chapter 7. There's this wrestling that goes on because we're still in these bodies. There's, the flesh still cries out. It still wants what it wants. But praise God, he's given us his spirit to live within us, that we might walk in love. And while we are still in this life, Romans 8.18 reminds us that there will be suffering, but this suffering is not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to come. And so as we go through this life, as we go through trials, we keep our eyes on him, remembering that nothing and no one can separate us from his love. How incredible is that? And as we get into Romans 9 through 11, he talks about the fact that he is saving both Jew and Gentile, and he will do so until he returns. And it's for what? It's for his glory. It's all for his glory as we got to the end of chapter 11. So then what should we do? Well, Romans 12.1 tells us what we should do. He says in Romans 12.1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. 
as a result of all, the, of all that God has done for us, all that Christ has done for us in the gospel, the way that he has loved us, now we live our lives for him, set apart for him. What does that look like? How should I do this? Verse 2 tells us, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Left to our default, we will conform to this world, but if we read his word, if we allow the Spirit to speak to us and teach us, we all have our minds transformed, then we will know that which is good and acceptable and perfect. What what is it that God would have us do on a daily basis? And this is what he's been teaching us since those verses. He's given us the body of Christ. It is a beautiful thing. It is a supernatural thing. Every person who is in the body of Christ was it happened as a miracle. You who were once dead in your sin have been made alive in Christ, and now you are his children. And so... As such, we, he has given us gifts and abilities to serve one another, to help one another. And all of this is bathed in love. Love is central. We get to Romans chapter 12, verse 9. It says, this is what genuine love looks like. And memorize that, 9 through 21. That's a great section for us to, to just like soak in daily because guess what? I don't know about you, but my default isn't love. Well, it is, but it's just love for myself, right? And that's not what we're called to do. We're called to love others, even, as we got to end of chapter 12, even my enemies. What about that whole government thing? Well, we talked about that the last couple of weeks. We're supposed to walk in submission in every way that we can. The only time we don't do that is when they're asking us to sin. Now, he sums it all up. He sums it all up. And what he says basically is this, love is central to all that you do. And that's what we're going to be focusing on this morning. It kind of, he brings us back to it one more time and then springboards from here into, again, issues with one another. How is it that love is lived out with the weak brother, with the strong brother? How is it that we would stay unified? It's all about love. And you and I are unable to truly love apart from Christ. This morning, if you're here and you're, you're trying to figure it out, you don't know who Jesus is, you're, you're still trying to figure that out, I want you to hear this this morning. Any one of us can only love because Christ has first loved us. All other loves are counterfeit. They're a substitute, as we're going to see this morning. And so I'm praying for you this morning. I'm praying that you would see that God is who he says he is, that Jesus did what he said, what we read in the Bible, and that, and that you would understand that you're a sinner in need of a Savior, but Christ has died for you. That would be my prayer for you this morning. But before we get into the text, let me pray for us. We need the Spirit's help in in order to understand these things. God, we thank you for this time together this morning. We thank you that you are holy. That, Lord, you are set apart from all else. That, Lord, you are the very definition of love. This morning we would... Be quick to recognize that we do not always love as we ought to. 
But God, we're praying as a result of our study this morning that we would love better, that, Lord, we would stop our excuses as to maybe why we would not love, but, Lord, repent and love as you have loved us. God, we pray that as we look at your word, as we study your word, that your spirit would work in our hearts, help us to see things as they truly are, and that, Lord, by the time we're done here this morning, that we would look, like, look more like you as a result of our time together. It's your name we pray. Amen. Okay, so Romans chapter 13. If you don't have a Bible, go ahead and just slip up your hand. Romans chapter 13. We're going to look at verses 8 to 10. Romans 8 to 10. Again, under the context of these, this is the will of God. This is that which is good and acceptable and perfect. We pick it up in verse 8, and it says, Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. Now, I don't know, did I I ask you if you needed a Bible? I think I skipped that part, right? Okay, if you need a Bible, go ahead and slip up your hand. Guys will bring you one. Okay, so because why? Because we want to make sure that what this preacher is saying is actually in the Bible. Okay, so uh, Romans chapter 13, 8 through 10, we just read that. And as you think about this text, loving consistently, loving your neighbor as yourself. As I think about this, I think before we get into the text, I, I think about the person Joseph. You look at his life, he is a model for us to follow when it comes to loving. To loving in every situation that he faced. He was in a dysfunctional family. He didn't realize that his brothers didn't love him. Um, and, and they got rid of him, right? They got rid of him. They sold him into slavery. He gets to Pilate's house. And if you and I were to put ourselves into his shoes... There's all kinds of reasons to be bitter. There's all kinds of reasons to, 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 to even blame God for what's happening, but he doesn't. And he's just faithful. How do we know he's faithful? Well, because he just quickly works his way up at where the place he's at. And, and Pilate basically is, sorry, not Pilate, Potiphar. <laughs> Potiphar, not Pilate, Uh, Potiphar has given him responsibility over everything that he has. And Potiphar not only likes him, so does his wife. Uh, So much so that she wants him to sleep with her. But what does he do? He refuses because love refuses in that situation. Well, it doesn't turn out well for him as a result of walking in righteousness yet again, and now he's in prison. Bitterness could continue to creep in and anger and all kinds of things, but while he's in prison, he's continually looking in, uh, you know, in such a way that he's loving even his fellow prisoners. He sees these two guys, they're all worked up. He interprets their dreams for them. Say, hey, just remember me. And they don't. 
and a couple more years go by, and then finally they remember. And then he becomes second in command, basically, in the whole known world at that time. He's, he's a powerful, powerful man, and now the brothers come along. Would your first reaction be, man, I love my brothers? But what does he do? He shows love to his brothers. And they are waiting. They're just waiting. They're just waiting. Okay, yeah, it's because dad's still here. But as soon as dad is gone, he is going, like the wrath is coming. We just know it. And he's, he's got the power to do it. But what? He doesn't do that. He loves them. And he says that, look, I recognize that God is over this whole thing. And what you meant for evil, God meant for good. And so I'm not going to do anything to you guys. All through his life, he loved. What a model for you and I as we think about this text. And as we think about this text, love overcomes. Love overcame hatred. Love overcame bitterness in, in Joseph's life. And it will be for you and I as we walk out the gospel. So as we look at the text, Romans 13 8 through 10, we see, we're going to see three different things uh, about love, three different qualities about love. And the first is this, love, we, as, as, as love overcomes, let us love persistently. Let us love persistently. In other words, continue on in love, continually. As we're going to see in the text, there's not a point where we're like, okay, I'm done. I'm done. No, we need to love persistently. Verse 8 says, Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. As the people of God, as we go going through Romans 12 and 13, we see that we're to strive for peace with our fellow man. Or later, uh, late in chapter 12, we're told, as much as it depends on you, live at peace with all men. We're to, 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 to be the kind of people in society that are not making waves, but to, to live at peace with all men. And then it says here that we're to owe no one anything. This word for owe, it is, is to be obligatory in view of some moral or legal requirement. It's to, to not be under obligation. We're not to be under obligation to anyone. We're not to owe anyone anything. Now remember, just back in verse 7, he said what? Pay what you owe. If you if you're, if you're owed tax, if you owe taxes, guess what? Pay the taxes. If you owe revenue, pay the revenue. If you owe honor in what you do because they've, God has placed them over you, pay honor. If you, pay, you need to pay respect, pay respect. So owe no one anything is what he's saying here. So coming out of that flow of thought of, of if, you, if you owe to the government, you pay them. And oh, by the way, let me spread that out, not just the government, but if you owe anyone anything, pay it up. Now, some, some over the last 2,000 years have said, well, never be in debt. That's what this text is saying. Never be in debt. So if you want a house, start saving so that you can just give that lump sum payment of $500,000 for your home someday, okay? If you, if you want a vehicle, save up. Don't, don't be in debt to anyone. That's what it said. Don't be, don't be, owe no one anything. And you can see how they got there, but... The point of this text is not never be in debt, but if you're in debt, pay it up. Pay what you owe. Whenever, whenever you, if, if it's in your means to do so, you pay. You don't, you don't do so begrudgingly. You do it quickly and you do it rightly. And so this is his point. Owe no one anything, but there is a debt 
that you're going to continually owe. What is that? Love. Love. You owe love every day. Right? Let's start with your family. Wives, husbands, children. You're like, it's Tuesday. I don't need to love you. No, you, you owe them love that day and Wednesday and Thursday until you breathe your last. We owe love. This is what it's saying here. We always owe love. It's a debt that will never be paid. Never will be able to say, I've loved enough or there is no more need for love. Origen put it like this, let your only debt that is unpaid be that of love. A debt which you should always be attempting to discharge in full, but will never succeed in discharging. Right? Because you're like, well, I'm never going to be done paying, so I guess I'll just give it out in little bits. Is that, is that how we do it? I'm just going to love you a little bit. No, we, 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 we act as if we could discharge it in full every day, knowing that we will not be done until we breathe our last why do we do this? For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. In light of the context in the previous verses, and, Paul, and Paul's use of the word another would indicate that the Christian is called to what? To love everyone. This isn't just the people in my family. This isn't just for the people I like. And just at the end of chapter 12, he's talked about loving even your enemies. So loving my neighbor isn't just the people I choose to love, as we're going to see in just a moment, but, but every person I meet. It's, it's the, 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 the fellow brother or sister in the body of Christ, and it's your neighbor who does not know the Lord. It is the person you've known for 30 years, and there's the person that you've known for three seconds. Everywhere that I go, love is to be my central focus. Even the person I didn't meet who was driving in front of me down the Deerfoot. Showing love to every single person. That should be my mindset. I owe them love. Everywhere I go with every person I meet. Why? Because this fulfills the law. Um, Paul, or sorry, Mu puts it like this. Paul reserves the word fulfill for Christian experience. Only Christians, as a result of the work of Christ and through the Spirit, can fulfill the, fulfill the law. The word fulfill then suggests that Paul is thinking about a complete and final doing of the law that is possible only in the new age of eschatological accomplishment. Only because of what Christ has done can you and I love, in other words. The love that we give out is that which has been given to us first in Christ. If it's about you and I mustering up love, it's not going to go well. Let's just be honest. We need to have a supernatural mindset. When we think about these commands, we can only fulfill the law by what? By walking by the Spirit. Again, I point us back to what we've learned earlier in Romans chapter 8. By walking by the Spirit, can we love as we ought to love? Because we have been first loved by Christ, we are now enabled to love in the way that we ought to love. We're able to do what God requires of his people. 
In other words, the whole point of the law was to be an overflow of love. But what did we find that the law did? It only proved us to be guilty, right? It's like, here's the law, here's what you're called to do, but we are unable to do it, is what the whole point of the law was, to show us that we needed something more, to show us that we needed a savior. In our own flesh, we're unable to, but by the Spirit, we can. So it doesn't matter who you encounter this week. Love should be your focus. Even the guy you had the big argument with on Friday at work. Even, even the classmate who bullies you. Even the person you have never met. Every single person that you meet, love is what the focus should be. Jesus illustrated this perfectly. Flip over to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. And helping us to understand what love should look like on a daily basis. Luke chapter 10, we begin in verse 25. So there's this man, he, he's trying to, he's really testing the Lord, he's testing Jesus, and he says in verse 25, and behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? In other words, how do I get into heaven? He said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. And your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Okay, so what, what is it that I need to do to inherit eternal life? All I need to do is to love the Lord my God with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my strength, and with all my mind, and then love my neighbor as myself. That's all I have to do to inherit eternal life. That's it. It's pretty easy, right? How'd you do last week? How did you do this morning? If it's based on you just doing that, how have you done? Now, this lawyer should have been like, how is that possible? I have failed. Lord, help me. But what's his response? It's not, it's not humility. Just a hint. Not humility. But rather, he's trying to, to rationalize that Okay, check, check, but just, just one little thing, who is my neighbor, right? Verse 29, but he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Sure, happy to love my neighbor, but who is that? Is it, is it the people that I choose to love? If that's the case, I've nailed it. Now, we're going to get into it a little bit later, but there's this thinking that's going on. There's this twisting that some of the teachers of the Jewish people at that time had, like there's only certain people that we are required to love. So let's just keep that in the back of our mind. There, there is that teaching that's out there. There are some people we love and there's other people we don't love. In fact, we hate them. So as he asked this question, he's like, okay, What's the group of people that I have to love? Jesus replied, 
He tells a parable to, to kind of get them going here. Jesus replies, a man was going down from Jerusalem and Jericho. Thanks, man. And he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. All right, so this is like there's this 17-mile road. It's kind of windy. It's, it's, it's not a safe road, right? If you're traveling on this road, you need to be on high alert. You need to understand that there can be thieves and robbers coming. So as Jesus is telling this parable, he's like, yeah, I know that road. Not safe, okay? This, this guy, he's traveling. He's not only robbed, but he's beaten, and he's half dead, right? He's not in good shape. He's laying on the road. He's unable to get up. He, he's laying there. So people start passing by. Verse 31, now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by the other side. You can probably relate to this if you're walking downtown. You see somebody shaking a cup, right? Your, your tendency might be like, I'm just going to go on the other side of the road, right? Why are you doing that? I don't want to even have the interaction. I don't even want to have, I'm just going to go on the other side of the road and maybe they won't see me. That's what's happening with the Levite here. This is what happened to the priest. I'm just going to, you know, that guy's lying half dead over there. I'm just going to, I got a busy day. I got a lot on the go. You know, I got I to just go. So that's what they do. And if we're being honest, so, you know, maybe, maybe it was a little too close to home, the downtown walking thing, but, but we do that. If we're being honest, we've done it. So, but a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. I love, I love how Jesus told stories. The Samaritan. Let's just take a step back and think about, okay, Samaritans in Israel. Well looked upon by the Jewish people? Nope. Hated them. They hated them. And guess what? The feeling was mutual. The Samaritans hated the Jews as well. So, like, we're talking about this, this clashing of people, groups, and Jesus is like, okay, I'm going to use the person that you would think, think would least likely do this for a Jewish person. He comes along. And when he sees what's going on, he has compassion on him. Now, the Samaritan is probably the least likely person to help. Why? Because he's just trying to get down the road to where he needs to get to. He's not only worried about the thieves, he's worried about all the ridicule from the Jewish people walking by him as well. Because again, they don't like each other. There have been hostilities. And so this guy is the least likely person to do anything, but he does it. He has compassion. How does he have compassion? Verse 34, he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine that he sent on him on his own, sorry, set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay when I come back. How did he take care of him? Wholeheartedly. This, this act of compassion, it cost him his time. Like, do you think the Samaritan didn't have somewhere to go? Like, he didn't have plans already? Just happened to be wandering around on the road? No, he, I, had, I guarantee you, he had plans. He had things he had to get done. But he sees the situation in front of him and responds with love. Cost him time, cost him money, cost him his own personal comfort. Right? He put, put him on his own um, 
uh, sorry, animal, I guess. It was like, what, what was it? It was an animal. It just says animal. Okay, he put him on his own animal in order to get him there. Like, this guy served him well. So then Jesus asked, which of these do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? Now, do you, do you catch, what, catch what the Lord did here? He took his question and he just reversed it on him. The original question was like, who is my neighbor? Who is worthy of my love? And he's like, who was the man who was the neighbor? In other words, instead of thinking about who is worthy of my love, understand that you are always to be loving and you show love. That's, he, he flips the whole thing on his head. The question is not who is my neighbor, in other words, who is worthy of my love, but rather who am I being a neighbor to? Who am I being a neighbor to? to? And he says in verse 37, the one, the one who showed him mercy, this is what the lawyer says, and Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. In other words, everywhere we go, you and I are called to show mercy. You and I are called to show love. Again, I want to just take us back to the gospel. Impossible apart from the gospel. But as people who have been shown great mercy, we're able to show mercy. As people who have been shown great compassion, we are able to show compassion. And by doing so, we reflect the character of the Lord to a lost and dying world in desperate need for mercy and love. I love how Boa puts it like here. He says, the way to open doors for the gospel in Rome is to avoid entanglements. We are on a kingdom mission of spreading the gospel not morally rehabilitating the Roman Empire or its citizens. Obey the emperor and love your neighbors. If you do this, you will live at peace and have greater opportunity to focus on the mission of the church in light of the coming end of the age. We love because that is the best soil for the gospel, right? When you start loving as Christ has loved you, you will stand out in our world. You will stand out in your cities, right? If you, if you love as Jesus has loved you, at some point people are going to be like, okay, how are you doing this? And you will be able to say, it has nothing to do with me. Newsflash. If it was left up to me, yeah, I would hate that person too. If it was left up to me, yeah, I, I, would, I would hate our boss. And use the, you know, it was left up to me. But it's not left up to me because I've been made a new creation. Because Christ has died for me. Because he's died for me and loved me, now I'm able to love. And I want you to know that you can be reconciled to God. And love as he has loved you. So, does love get a break? Like, which day am I not supposed to love on? I'm just, I'm trying to remember. Okay, what people, though? Like, there's some, there's got to be somebody. I mean, do you know, you know, I, you all had somebody pop into your mind. 
as do you think they're the most unlovable person in the world right now? Maybe not a month ago, but right now you feel like, ah, yeah, I don't want to love them. Yeah, that person too. We're supposed to love every single person. Okay, so what does that look like? So love persistently, love purposefully. Verse 9, for the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Not only should the believer be continually having the heart to show love to every person that they encounter and be ready to do so, they need to be purposeful in doing so. What I mean by that is they need to consider what is the loving thing? What is the loving thing? Now, do you think there's different definitions out there as to what love is? Anyone think that that's possible, that there's different definitions as to what love is? Yeah, for sure. What's the current definition of love? Let me do whatever I want to do. Let me be whoever I want to be, and your job is then not to just accept that, your job is to celebrate that. That is love. Is that not true? That's the new definition of love. But it's not the biblical definition of love. And in fact, if we stopped and thought about it for just like two seconds, we'd be like, that doesn't really seem to make sense. Let's just boil it down. Like, you got kids, right? Some of you have children. They decide they really want to play with knives. They decide they really think that Tide Pod would be delicious. Right? They decide it. It's what they want. It's their will for life. So I guess the loving thing would be to be like, please play with the knives. Please eat the Tide Pod. I want to be loving to you. And everyone here is like, that is not love. Why? Because it would be harmful to that person, to your child, to play with knives. It would be harmful to them, the people around them. It could be fatal so the loving thing is not to say yes to whatever they want. The loving thing is to say no at times. That's actually wrong. That would not be helpful. And here's the great news for you and I. We can know what the loving thing is in every situation. Because the creator who's made every single one of us, who is the very definition of love, has told us what is love. So love needs to be connected to something. It needs to have a grid in which to flow through or else love gets skewed. And so love and the law actually go together. They, 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 are, the perfect, they are the perfect combination. If someone is only focused on the law, what happens? They become a legalist and oftentimes are the most unloving people around, right? They're watching your, oh, you did this wrong. Oh, you did that wrong. It was, you become like a Pharisee. There's not enough laws. Let's make more laws. I love law. It's so good, right? And, and, and heaping up a stack of commandments you could never keep. 
That's the one side. Or there's the other side, it's just about love. It's just about love. I define what is love, and in this moment, I really feel I would really like to. That's love. No, it's not love. It's, it's, it's a counterfeit. It's false, and it will harm you, not help you. It will hurt you. It will hurt those around you. And so we need this grid of what is Love. Schreiner says this, if love is cut free from any commandments, it easily dissolves into sentimentality and virtually any course of action can be defended as loving. So I, I know some of us who have been around on this earth a little bit longer than maybe others, you can think of all kinds of examples of where people have been breaking what God's word says and calling it love. I take the first one he uses here. Do not commit adultery. How many people do you know who have committed adultery and called it love? Wow, my wife, she just doesn't understand. We just, you know, we've kind of fallen out of love. And, you know, this other person, she just really gets me. And she loves the Lord, too. And we, we both love the Lord. And so this is what God would have me do. Is that the loving thing? It is not the loving thing. How do I know that? That's what the Bible tells us. Doesn't matter how you want to wrap it up, it is a lie from Satan. And we know like the damage it causes over and over and over again. And yet some people think that if they can just kind of wrap it up in this love bow, that it will look better. It doesn't. It's a lie. I think it's pretty clear that love, I don't know, I don't know that I've ever heard of like, well, I had to murder because it was the loving thing to do. Okay, that's probably not that. People probably get that one a little bit easier. I'm sure there's people out there who would twist it somehow, but love does not steal, doesn't like take what you have. You could think about that in all different kinds of ways. I can be even at your workplace, not playing Wordle or whatever the latest thing is during work time. Like that, love doesn't steal, doesn't take from others what is not for you to take. And love does not covet. Love does not covet. It's easy to see how the other ones are kind of under the love category, but isn't like coveting more of a personal thing? Isn't that, how am I hurting someone else when I covet what they have? Well, I thought Boyce had a great way of putting it. He says, the biggest problem with covetousness is not the trouble it gets us into, however bad as that is. It is rather that it makes us insensitive to the needs of other people. For instead of helping us to see who they are and what their needs are, covetousness makes us jealous of others with the result that we see only what they have and want it. When you covet what someone else has, you... you, you, you you, you want it, and you don't want them to have it. And so it, it distorts our relationships. And Paul's reminding us here, all these commandments, they're all summed up like this. In fact, he even says, and there's other commandments. That I, I've just used four of the six commandments when it comes to the, the Ten Commandments of the relationship. Uh, there's six commandments that are, are relational between, man, uh, between humans, and then there's four between us and God. And these six 
He's used just four of them. And he's saying, look, if you, if you want to fulfill it all, then just love. Love is the one that fulfills all these commandments. It says here, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's, that's how it's all summed up. Many times people will make it think somehow that, okay, like God had a set of rules in the Old Testament, but now he has a new set of rules in the New Testament. Well, not really when you think about it. Jesus, when talking about how did you sum up the whole uh, law, it is love. Deuteronomy 6.5, it is Leviticus 19.18. Leviticus 19.18, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. We are to love everyone around us. We're to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. However, he did say this in John 13. Again, I just encourage you to write these things down for yourself. John 13, 34 and 35. He says, a new commandment I give to you. Okay, a new thing. What does he say here? That you love one another. Well, wait a minute. I thought we just said that was in Deuteronomy 6, Leviticus 19, 18. He says, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. How is it that this is a new commandment? Well, Jesus is now the model that we follow. When we consider how is it that we're to love, it is by following Christ. We're to love as he has loved us. And how are we to do it? By the power of the Spirit living within us. That's how the law is fulfilled. As we already seen in Jesus' parable about the Samaritan, our neighbor is anyone that we encounter. And so anyone that we encounter, we are to love them. Again, I mentioned earlier that there was some teaching out there that, that you didn't have to love everyone. Psalm 139, 21 and 22. This is the go-to verse they, verses they would use. Psalm 139, 21, it says this, Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. I'm like, there we go. I found some verses that says it's good that I hate those who hate you. And so that's my life verse, right? And there's people who live like that. If you're not in my club, if you're not doing what we're doing, then we're to hate you. But if you look at the broader context of the scriptures, you would say, yeah, we are to hate sin. We are all to hate sin, but we are to love the unbeliever. That's what we're called to do. Schreiner says this, the very center of Pauline ethics is love. The affections of the heart, not the mere performance of outward actions, constitute the essence of the Christian life. We are to love our neighbor as ourselves. I mentioned this a few weeks ago, but just in case you weren't there, I think it's really important that we, I keep coming back to this because it's being hammered out in so many churches right now. This text is not telling you that you have to first love yourself. There's a, there's a teaching going around the church in Canada that there's three commandments. There's actually three commandments. You're to love yourself. Then, once you get that figured out, then you're to love your neighbor and 
you're to love the Lord your God. There's three commandments. Well, Jesus never said that. He said there's two commandments. And you're to love your neighbor as yourself. What is the Bible teaching us? You already love yourself. It's in our DNA. We all love ourselves. Husbands, Ephesians 5 says that you're to love your wife as your own flesh. And Paul explains, well, what what do you mean by that? Ephesians 5.29, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. It's what we do naturally. When we're hungry, we feed our bodies. When we're thirsty, we give it something to drink. When we're tired, we sleep. We care for ourselves continually. We're deeply concerned about ourselves. That's just natural. That's life 101, right? There's times when you might have negative feelings about yourself, okay? I don't know that anyone, you know, there's maybe some of you, you wake up and you're like, I'm amazing every morning, you're right? Like you might, you might say that. I don't know. That's, that's not positive either. But um, if you're just like, well, I hate myself, well, that's just more love. That's more self-love because ultimately at the end of the day when you're saying you hate yourself, it's like, I want to be a better me. The focus is still me. The, the focus is still loving me. So, so it's just something that we all do naturally. There is no third commandment, right? So love your neighbor as yourself. What does that mean? It means that you're caring for them in a very specific way. You're, you're seeking their best continually. That's what it looks like to love your neighbor as yourself. So love persistently, love purposely, and then lastly, love protectively. Love protectively. Verse 10, love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. He's already mentioned the positive side of love, doing good to those around you. Now he's saying the negative side, which is this, love never does wrong to a person. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. In a world full of hurt, betrayal, name-calling, slander, jealousy, envy, and hatred, we need the gospel. We need the gospel. You and I, that's our default, is to hurt those who have hurt us. That's what we'd like to do. It comes naturally to us. But the Bible says the loving thing is that you would never hurt someone else. You'd never gossip. You'd never slander. And so we desperately need the Lord to do this. In fact... You will hurt one another in this church. Do you know that? This is the bar. We are to love one another as Christ has loved us. This is the bar. And we can wake up and resolve to do that each and every day. But between now and eternity, we're not going to be perfect. And you are going to hurt one another. And in order for these relationships to continue, you are going to need to humble yourselves, confess your sin to one another, and then ask for forgiveness And then you're going to need to extend forgiveness to the person who has hurt you. That's how relationships work. 
In the same way that you and I have been reconciled to God, we are reconciled to one another by confessing our sins to one another and forgiving one another. It's so easy for you and I to do wrong to our neighbor. Once again, this would be anyone that we encounter each day. As I've already hinted at, I mean, this could be the person driving in front of you. Crazily slow. Are your thoughts love towards that person? Oh, they must, must not maybe be from here. I'm sure they're really stressed out right now. I can take my time and get around them. Is that your thought? It should be. That would be the loving thing. The waitress who got your order wrong, whose life is falling apart at home. who has all kinds of trials in her life that distracted her so you, she got your order wrong. Do you look at her with love? Say, man, she must be having a tough time. Let me extend love and grace to her right now. It's okay that I got quinoa instead of fries. <laughs> what about the neighbor with the late night parties? who's pursuing their sin, trying to find happiness in their life, but will never find it. Do you look at them with love and look for opportunities to give them a gospel? The coworker who takes credit for your work, who work, for them work is everything. Do you look on them, at them with love? Every day we're tempted to do wrong to our neighbors, but we must love because Christ has first loved us. Boaz says this, there is a certain paradox in Paul's words. In order to get out of debt to the law, we have to go into debt to love. We fulfill the law when we love. The difference is a liberating one. Instead of focusing on what we could never do, which is perfectly meet the demands of the law, we are free to focus on what we can always do, love one another. But we can always do it, how? Because Christ has loved us. And so it is out of the overflow of his love for us that we love one another. How are we doing in love? There's a whole lot more I've written down, but I have somehow run out of time. Never happens to me. We're going to transition to communion in just a moment. But I want us to think about, is this true of me? Do I live as if I owe everybody that I meet love? I owe them that. Why do I owe them that? Because Christ has first loved me. And so as his representative, I love. And as I do, I speak truth, and I show grace and mercy and compassion to every person that I meet. That's the, that's the calling for you and I. And there is no wiggle room here, right? Like, I get it. Right? I, I, I would love to be like, hey, but this person I shouldn't have to love. 
well, Jesus shouldn't have had to love you either. Do you, do you understand your sin against him? Do you understand how much you've been showing mercy and compassion and forgiveness every week of your life by a loving God? If you did, you'd be more quick to love those who have sinned against you. So let us pray that God would show us, remind us of how much we have been loved so that we would love as he has loved us. Let me pray. God, we are so thankful for your love towards us. We're so thankful that love has overcome sin, Satan, death, hatred. And God, there's no one here this morning who can say that they're walking perfectly in these ways. But God, let that not be an excuse. Lord, may there be no hatred in our hearts for anyone around us. Lord, help us to have an urgency about showing love to a lost and dying world around us. Lord, help us to look like Jesus, who loved perfectly as he walked this earth. Help us to love as he has loved us. Lord, so that Christ might be seen in us. So that those who are currently lost in their sin might be saved. And God, this morning I'm praying, Lord, if there's anyone here who's never given their life over to you, God, I pray that today you'd be merciful, that you would grant them repentance and faith in you that they might live forevermore and finally love as you have loved us. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. For more information about our church, visit redemptioncalgarynorth.com.